So we are wrapping up this series on the Holy Spirit. We called it Holy Ghost Stories. Uh, before we jump into our talk today, I kind of have to set the, the stage for where we're going, give you some context. So we're going to kind of backtrack to week one and just do a, a really quick review. I know some of you might be annoyed by that, but to be honest, you guys don't have very good memories. Some of you don't remember what we had for dinner last night. There's no way you remember what we talked about two weeks ago. We're going to backtrack a little bit. We, we talked at the beginning of this, uh, th there was a guy named Jesus, and Jesus was this uh, former carpenter turned rabbi. He kind of shows up on the scene, and no one really knows what to do with Jesus. He's, he's saying things that nobody had heard, and he's doing things nobody's ever done before. And then he, he, he invites these 12 guys to follow him and be the, his disciples, and they're just kind of, they're, like their year is made, their life is made, because they, everybody wants to be somebody's disciple. Everybody wants to follow somebody. And for people like John and Peter and the rest of those disciples, their time has come and gone. But Jesus invites them to become his followers. And for three, three and a half years, they kind of follow him around. They watch him do ministry. And, and this, this pattern starts to repeat in the life of the disciples. Every time Jesus is with them or near them, they feel like life is great. They feel like, like, like nothing can stop them. And then when Jesus goes away to pray or he, you know, when he goes away and does whatever he does when he's away from them, they, they feel like captivated by fear, like things aren't going well. As a matter of fact, we've said it this way in week one, that they're assured with, when Jesus is beside them, they're assured when Jesus is beside them, but they're afraid when Jesus is away from them. And time and time again, this begins to happen all throughout their time with Jesus and through this ministry. Jesus begins to do things uh, that kind of stirs up the religious elite, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They get really angry with Jesus. So this, they develop this plot to, to kind of take Jesus out, to end this movement of Christianity. And this pattern of them being assured when Jesus is beside them and afraid when Jesus is away from them, it hits the climax here. As we know, Jesus is arrested. He's wrongly arrested. He's wrongly accused. They end up saying the only way to kill this movement is to kill its leader. So they crucify Jesus. They end Jesus. And when they end Jesus, the disciples kind of spiral out of control. They run fearing for their lives. The very people who went after Jesus and captured Jesus and crucified him are now going after the disciples. And these men, Peter and John, they're scared. They're not like no one's showing up at the tomb, like ready to count down, you know, on the third day on Sunday morning. Ten, nine. They're scared. Their leader's dead and they're running and they're hiding behind closed doors and they don't know what to do. And then something incredible happens. Jesus shows up again. And the fear they felt when they were away from Jesus is now radically changed because <clears throat> not only is their leader back, but like their leader's back from the dead, which is just totally amazing, totally significant. It just blows their minds. And the fear's gone. And Jesus is with them. But then they begin to remember that Jesus said when he was with them that at some point he was going to go away. And this time when he went away, it was going to be for good. Like he wasn't coming back. And they weren't sure what he meant. But sure enough, after spending some weeks with Jesus, they're on a mountain, and Jesus kind of gives them their, their farewell address, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he leaves. He begins to ascend into heaven, and they're there, again, repeating this cycle, captivated by fear, watching their Savior go up into the clouds. And as they stand there staring up, they kind of hear a voice call out, stop staring, get going. And they get going, but they have no idea what to do. They, they, they run again, and they run, and they kind of hide again, not sure what to do, because Jesus has left them, and fear has overwhelmed them. And then this thing that Jesus talked about, this thing that God had promised them, the Holy Spirit shows up and changes their life forever. It, you see, it, it, something changes on the inside of them. It, it, the, the Spirit now indwells them. It, it, the, the peace they feel, the boldness they feel, the, the empowerment they feel is so much better than, than, it, than it was when Jesus was beside them. It's like Jesus said, if I go, it's going to be better for you. They didn't understand that. Now they understand it. 
They feel better with this thing that's inside of them that they can't see than they did when the Jesus that they could see was beside them. And they begin to just turn the town upside down. And that's kind of where our story picks up. The, the, the Holy Spirit has come. The disciples are radically filled. People are being saved. They're just doing things that they have never done before. They're walking into town one day, and there's a lame man on the side of the road who asks for help. Well, John and Peter are there, and John and Peter heal this lame guy. This guy gets up, like, completely healed, and, and like, just a riot begins to ensue. The, the religious leaders can't believe it. They're, they're all kind of taking witness, taking note of what's happening. And here's where our story picks up. This is in, in the book of Acts. Luke, who kind of traveled around interviewing all of these eyewitnesses to take an account of what actually happened. He compiles all this. It's like these are the actions of the apostles, the, the, the men and the women that started the church movement. He tells us this in Acts chapter 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Peter and John had healed this man. Everybody wants to know what's happening. They start addressing the crowd, and these religious leaders are taking note. Like, like what are they going to say? What are they going to do? Because we saw these guys a few weeks ago. When we killed Jesus, they ran for their lives. And now that they, they seem to have changed. They seem to be a little bit different than what they were before. The religious leaders, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, this totally like, threw them off because they didn't want to believe, first of all, that anything could be done in Jesus, let alone the resurrection of the dead. Some religious leaders in that day were, were totally offended by the idea of resurrection alone. And, and these men are now, are now proclaiming that Jesus, that, that life, that, 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 that heaven, that eternal life, that peace can be found in Jesus. And the religious leaders aren't having it. They're angry, and they begin to confront Peter and John. As a matter of fact, they do more than confront them. They arrest him. These men that just weeks before, now just imagine, it's just a month before, these men were running and hiding because these were the men that wrongly accused, wrongly arrested, and wrongly crucified Jesus are now looking for them. And instead of running and hiding, Peter and John are there proclaiming Jesus. And the same men, Luke tells us, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, which was very kind of them. But many who heard the message, many who heard the message, Go to the next slide for me. Believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Even though they were confronted with fear, even though they were confronted with, with the enemy that, that just weeks before made them run, they continued to speak with boldness. They continued to speak with power. And men were continuing to be saved. The next day, the rulers and the elders <clears throat> and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And, and all of that detail is given. All, Luke wants you to know all of these names that are given because these are people that actually lived. As a matter of fact, we're familiar with some of them. Annas and Caiaphas, the, these were the religious leaders that were sitting over like the tribunal that wrongly accused, wrongly arrested, and wrongly crucified Jesus. These are the same men. Th these are the men who in this day and age, they hold the power of life and death in their hand. And now they hold Peter and John in their very hand. I mean, what are these guys going to do? What are they going to say? These are the religious leaders, furious with Peter and John. They had Peter and John brought before them. And they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name? And then Peter. Peter, if you remember Peter, he was the guy who just a month before he kind of spiraled out of control more than he ever has in his life. He was this type A personality. You probably know people like this. They say things they shouldn't say. They speak before they think. They act before they think about their actions. And it tends to go really poorly for them sometimes. 
This is Peter. He's just this type A driven guy. He's he's always saying saying things he shouldn't. He's doing things he shouldn't. He doesn't think of the consequences. He's the only disciple who kind of stepped out of the boat onto the water with Jesus. He's just that kind of individual. But a month before, when Jesus was arrested, men confronted Jesus, or confronted Peter rather, and said, hey, aren't aren't you one of those guys who's with Jesus? And he's like, Jesus? Jesus who? As a matter of fact, a middle school girl shows up. And she says, hey, aren't you one of those? And Peter begins, I'm not blankety-blank, and he cusses this little middle school girl out. You should read the story. This is that Peter, the same guy who was so scared of a little girl, he cussed her out and ran away just a month before. And now Peter stands up before the group of men that wrongly accused and crucified Jesus. And he's not the same Peter. Things go a little differently than how we would have intended. You see, for Peter... Faith replaced fear. Faith replaced his fear. Why? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, see something had changed in him, literally in him. Before this, it was only Jesus beside him. Now, Jesus sent the Spirit and it's in him. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, I like this. He ends with, with, with a, a little... Uh, or he starts off, rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man that was lame, if you're going to question us because we did something generous for a man who was lame and paralyzed and you couldn't do anything for him, and we're being asked how he was healed, then we know this, and you and all the people of Israel, and he, he puts a little coal in there because he's, he's going to let him have it. He's about to lay into them. This is the same Peter who ran hiding weeks before. It is by the name of Jesus Christ Did you get that? Jesus Christ, the one you crucified? Yeah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And at that, I imagine John just kind of drops the mic. Boom, you guys had it. You've been roasted. We're out. Peter's not done. Jesus, he begins to use their own words against them. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, but he has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And the Pharisees are thinking, we're not saved by a man. We're saved by our actions. We're saved by following the law that God had given us. And Peter's like, no, 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 you guys got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. It's not by your actions. It's by grace. It's by, it's by this man. It's by what he did. It's by the good news. It's by believing that Jesus is a real person and that he was really crucified and that he really came back to life to set you free of your sins. That's the good news. If you're here or if you're watching online and you're struggling with faith, you're struggling with this idea of of believing in something you can't see, that's, that's the good news. That's the thing that you've got to wrap your mind around. That Jesus was a man and that Jesus died and he came back to life to set you free from your sins. This was Peter, completely different person, completely different kind of an individual. As a matter of fact, it was so shocking that when the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, these weren't smart guys, these were just ordinary men, they were astonished and they had took note that these men had been with Jesus, that these men had been with Jesus. What I find really interesting here is is this word courage. See, courage is an interesting word. 
<clears throat> courage is something I, I think we all kind of want more of, isn't it? But if we're really honest, courage is this. Courage is knowing <clears throat> that it might hurt and doing it anyway. The problem, stupidity is the very same thing. <laughs> That's why life is hard. Courage is knowing that what you're about to do might hurt, but you're going to do it anyway. Stupidity is the same thing. I mean, imagine being in that courtroom. These men know the power that Annas and Caiaphas and these religious leaders have. They're thinking, this isn't courage. This is stupid. Just shut up. Just go. Like, these guys are going to kill you. You're not being courageous. You're just being dumb. And that's the challenge. You see, none of us, and I think this is true for all of us, none of us want to be stupid, do we? No one wants to be more stupid. But I think we would all like to be more courageous. You see, and there was something in John that led him to be courageous, whereas from the outside looking in, it would appear to be stupid. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit never leads you to stupidity. The Holy Spirit inside you that's causing you to take a step, it never leads you to stupidity. It might be painful. It might be hurtful. Don't get me wrong. Whatever he's leading you to do might feel like a challenge, but it's never stupid. This was Peter. This was the man who weeks before would run and hide from a little girl. And now he was addressing the very men who could end his life. And, and not just saying, here's why I'm doing it because of Jesus and I love Jesus, but then calling him out and saying, no, I'm here because of you and what you did and how you crucified him. You're responsible. The boldness, the, 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 the passion, the empowerment. Something changed. But since these religious leaders, since they could see that these men that the man standing next to him, that the lame man who was lame and everyone knew he was lame and now he's up kind of walking around, since they had this evidence that the man who had been healed is standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There was nothing they could do. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. Hey guys, why don't you, you take a step out of the hallway and let us talk a little bit, essentially is what they're saying. And, and, and these wise men, these, these religious elite, they kind of gather together and this is what they say. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. I mean, the guy's walking around. What are we going to do? But to stop this thing from spreading, to kind of end this movement that we thought we were ending when we killed Jesus, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them no longer to speak in his name. Then they called Peter and John back in. They called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And you would think at this point, like if this is it, we can kind of go free. John's probably thinking, Peter's like, all right, we're out. We said what we had to say. We kind of confronted our adversary. We can just go on our way. <clears throat> I would imagine at this point, maybe John's kind of holding on to Peter. Like, all right, Peter, let's go. Good job. You said a lot. Let's go. And Peter's like, no, 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 I'm not done. I'm not done. I got more to say. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. But as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen, and about what we have heard. We cannot help speaking. If you wrestled with faith, if you wrestled with this idea of whether or not I should believe, you need to know this, that these guys, Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, they gave their life, not for somebody else's faith, not for what somebody else had told them, not for their parents' faith or their mom's faith. It was their faith. It was because of what they had seen with their eyes. It's what they experienced over three and a half years with Jesus. It's what they now experienced after being with Jesus and watching him die and watching him come back to life. I mean, 
let's be honest. If you're working for a guy and he tells you he's going to die and come back to life, he dies and three days later he comes back and you're eating lunch with him, you just go with that guy. That's what they did. They just went with that guy. I I can't help it. You can say whatever you want to say is what Peter's saying. It's not going to stop me. You can't change what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've experienced. They didn't know what to do. This man had completely changed, like overnight, just a different person. So after further threats, we're just going to threaten them some more. They let him go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. And I got thinking about this, and I mean, this is just like one of the stories. You read through the book of Acts, and it's just story after story after story of these incredible men and women who did these radical things for God, who just pages before were these meek, ordinary, unschooled people. I mean, we read about Peter and John, but what about Stephen, the first martyr who gave his life, who willingly gave his life for the sake of Jesus? What about Paul, who started off as a mercenary and then became the greatest missionary? And then I got, I got thinking, what about us? Like, like, what about me? Why can't I be that way? Like, like really, and, and we're going to ask this question, and don't laugh because that's just rude, but what's the difference between Peter, John, Stephen, and Jim? Really? I mean, I know what you might say, well, a lot, right? These are the apostles. Like, people name their kids after them, and we make statues, we, we name churches. Like, these are the apostles, yeah, but, but really, I mean, okay, true. But, but these people have no spiritual advantage over us. Why not us? Why not me? Why not you? I mean, no one's following me around like Luke followed around, and they're saying, I've got to write down everything this unschooled guy does or says because it's just going to change the world someday. No one's doing that. Why not? The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that filled Peter's life, that filled John's life, that filled the apostles' life. Get this, if you follow Jesus, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, that same spirit is in you. So why not us? I mean, you might say, well, you know, something's missing. Well, maybe that's true. But I can tell you this much, the something missing is not the someone missing. The Spirit is the same Spirit in me that He is in you, that He was in John, that He was in Jesus. So why not me? Paul, John, Stephen, all the apostles, they had no spiritual advantage over us. They had the same Spirit. They had the same access, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and it's in me like it was in them. So why not us? Why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we more bold? Why aren't we more empowered? Maybe, the truth is, maybe we're just afraid of something. Maybe we've forgotten. Maybe it's just so easy to, at some point in your life, confess Jesus as your Savior, believe that he was the Son of God, that he came and he died, and he was risen again to forgive your sins. But then life goes on. And we forget. The Apostle Paul, I think he kind of knew this was going to happen. As a matter of fact, I think he saw it happen. This is the guy who I said started off as, as a mercenary, and then he traveled around as the greatest missionary and started these churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. He started one church in the city of Galatia, and I think what he began to see is what we kind of see in ourselves, that they make this confession, they believe, and things are going well, and then over time, 
it just kind of decreases, right? right? They, they're not filled with this boldness. And they're not filled with life. They're not filled with excitement. The, the peace is gone. The joy is gone. The power is gone. So he begins to write to them to, to kind of address this thing. Like you're not seeing what, what you're, what's available to you. You're, you're not experiencing the power that God has for you. So he writes to this, this church in Galatia, this fledgling church that's struggling maybe the same way we're struggling today. And he says this. <clears throat> he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I love that he uses the word belong, right? That's the faith part. We believe, and therefore by believing in the Son, we've breathed in the Spirit. Now we, we belong to God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into his family. We belong. And for those of that do belong, we have crucified. He uses this really graphic term, crucified, like, like to put on a cross to end it. He, we, we, this term may go lost on us because we only see this, you know, the Hollywood imagery of a cross. But when you mention it in this culture to this group of people, the conversation stopped. Because everyone had seen a crucifixion. Everyone had smelled a crucifixion. Everyone had heard the gasps and the cries for life at a crucifixion. He said, no, it's the same way. Those of you who belong to Christ, those of you who are Jesus followers, those of you who, who, who are, are considering yourselves a Christ follower, you crucify, you put to death the flesh, its passions, its desires, the things in you that, keep, that, that maybe keep wanting to do the things that you shouldn't be doing. It's funny, when, when you kind of belong to Christ, when you give your life, when you breathe in his life, it's not like those desires go away, do they? They're still there, but you just have different desires. The, the war is won, like Jesus has won, but the battle's still raging. And he says almost every day, for some of you, it might even be every day or every hour, we've got to crucify, we've got to put to death those passions and those desires that kind of wage war, bring us back to be the person that we were before we breathed in the life and we belong to Jesus. And then he gives us this really practical handle on how we do that. Since we live by the Spirit, that, that is when we belong and we breathe the Spirit and we are now part of the Spirit, we become part, we're living by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let, let, us, let us keep in step or keep in motion or, or walk along with. Let, let us move with the Spirit. Let us, let us live by the Spirit. Another way of saying it would be saying it like this. Stepping with the Spirit is what we do when desires produced in our life by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. You'll still have those desires to do the things that you used to do or view the things you used to view or, or say the things you used to say. But the more we live by the Spirit, the more we kind of walk in step by the Spirit, these other desires, the desires that are produced by the Spirit, and we talked about those, right? Kindness, goodness, gentleness. Those are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. So, the question for us is, how do we do this? How do we walk in step with the Spirit? How do we do what Paul says and kind of crucify or put to death these things within us that continually cause us to do the things we don't want to do, to say the things we don't want to say, to be the person we don't want to become? That was the old me, and this is the new me. You hear people talk like that all the time. I don't want that anymore. I think there's three Ds, and we're going to call these the three Ds that, that kind of keep in step with the Spirit, right? Stepping with the Spirit. There's three Ds. And, and the first one is perhaps the easiest one, and that's simply this. It's destination. That when you've breathed the Spirit in and you're keeping in step by the Spirit, you need, you need to believe 
that he's taking you to a destination, that he's taking you someplace. And here's the key to this. You have to believe that where he's taking you is better than where you are now. It may be painful to get there. You may have a challenge to get there. It may even feel a little harmful to get there. But it's better than where you are. The Spirit never leads you to stupidity. But the Spirit always leads you to take a step. And that step always feels dangerous. It always feels a little uncomfortable. It always feels like like there's some risk in this. But the destination is always better than where you are now. So the first thing you need to do in keeping step with the Spirit is remember the destination. Where you are now is worse than where he wants to take you. And every step, no matter how hard, it's better to be there than it is to be here. Then the next thing is dedication. We've got to dedicate ourselves. And this is hard. We've got to dedicate ourselves to, to keeping that battle, to fighting that battle. Though, although you may wake up one morning and decide, I don't want to be, I, I want to live the way I used to. I want to say the things I used to. It's just so easy to go back to my former way, what I'm used to, the way I was raised. You've got to be dedicated to saying, no, that's not me. That I, I don't want to do that. I, want to, I don't want to give in to those desires. I don't want to be that husband. I don't want to be that mother. I don't want to be that father. I don't want to, I don't want to be that employee. I want to be this new me. And you've got to be dedicated to keeping that battle going. Remember, the war is won. Jesus defeated your enemy forever. But the battle rages in you every single day. And you need to dedicate yourself to it. And then finally, here's the hardest one. I think this is the one that, that most Christians get tripped up on. And that's dependency. You see, it's easy for us, for if you've been doing this for any period of time, to know that the destination where God wants to take you is better than where you are now. It's easy to remember that, that I've got to wake up and I've got to, I've got to remind myself every day that I'm not my own, that I've been bought with a price, that, that, that I, I can live a life that's different than the life I used to live. But this one, this one's tough. This one requires us to trust in something we can't see. It requires us to hope in something we've never seen. It requires us to be dependent on somebody else as opposed to doing it ourselves. And if you're anything like me, a little bit of a control freak, that's difficult. To trust my life, to trust my children, to trust, to trust my future or my career to something I can't see, to be dependent on something that, that isn't next to me and I can't touch, that's hard. That, that takes strength and it takes dependency. It takes humility. We started this series off and I told you a story. That was the very thing that, that trips me up all the time. It's so easy for me to just get into it and start doing the work and work with my own two hands and, and feel accomplished. And then after a little bit of that, you know what ends up happening? You just begin to do it all and it's all done in your strength and it's everything is dependent on what you do. But to keep in step with the spirit, we need to remember it's not you anymore. It's the spirit in you. And you need to be dependent on what he's doing in you, to be dependent on his strength, to be dependent on his peace and his joy and his hope for a better future. But this is where I see almost every person get tripped up. And it's hard for us, isn't it? it, it sometimes it makes us question who we are. It makes us question our faith. When we begin to do this on our own and we feel like the Spirit isn't there anymore, and it's like, why am I doing this? But when we learn to walk in step with the Spirit, it's kind of like we almost become like Neil Armstrongs of our faith. right? It's one small step in the Spirit, but it's one giant leap in our faith. 
one small step to follow the Spirit. It's just what it does for you on the inside. What just this one little turn, and it can be something small. It can be it can be really something completely significant for you. What what is the Spirit trying to lead you to do? What is the Spirit asking you to do? What's that thing on the inside that it's just it's annoying you? Even now, as I'm talking, it keeps coming back, and you're like, just shut up, just shut up, just shut up. What is that thing? See, it might just be one small step now, but it is one giant leap for your faith. So I'm going to ask the difficult question one more time. Why not us? Why not you? Why not you? Why not me? Let me ask it another way. What are we so afraid of? Honestly, what, what are we so afraid of? What is keeping us from walking in step with the Spirit, from taking that little bit of a risk and, 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 and knowing that what's out there is better than what we have, but there's just a little risk to get there? You see, for, for, for some of us, and here's the problem, is, is we just want things to kind of be comfortable and kind of be easy, don't we? Like, we just want to give into this, like, lazy boy Christianity. I mean, truthfully, in almost every area of our lives, we choose comfort over courage, don't we? I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want the risk. I don't want the danger. I, would just, I just want to be comfortable. But here's the thing. We, we, we need God to show up, but when we're sitting in, in our lazy boy Christian recliner, we don't really need God, do we, because we're comfortable. And we want the Spirit to move, but if we're sitting still and we're not doing anything, we've, we've kind of kept the Spirit from moving in our lives encouraging us to take the next step. We, we continue to choose comfort over courage, but let me encourage you this morning. Be a little bit courageous. Every Sunday you hear me end my prayer with, give us the courage to do it, because I know it's so easy for us to just default to whatever's comfortable. Sitting in my house in my little chair. I mean, he may be asking you to do something uncomfortable. He may be asking you to, to start serving. And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know that I want to. He may be asking you to be a little bit more generous, and you're thinking, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know that I have all the money, God. And God's saying, I know, don't worry about that. Just be generous and watch what I can do on the other side of this. He may be asking you to talk to someone, start a conversation, and you're an introvert like me, and you're like, I can't do that. That's debilitating. I would rather do anything else in the world but that. He may be asking you to invite somebody to church, thinking, no way. But we keep choosing comfort over courage. I mean, why would we need to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit if our lives are already comfortable? Why do we need him to show up? For some of us, we don't. Because we're really, really comfortable in our own little corner of the world. And then we wonder, well, why isn't God? Why is my family, why, why is my marriage, why? why? Because we chose comfort over courage. So I asked week one this question. I'm going to close with it this week as well. What would you do? What would you do if you were absolutely certain the Holy Spirit lived in you? My guess is for some of you, you already know. If you've been keeping up with this over the last few weeks, you probably knew week one what he was asking you to do. But that takes courage. It's way easier to be comfortable. What's he asking you to do? What step is he asking you to take? Is it to give and be generous? Is it maybe to give of your time and, and, and serve somewhere and volunteer somewhere? Is it maybe to, to walk across the aisle and talk to that person you've been working next to for years but never had a conversation with? 
Is it to invite your neighbor to church? What is the next step? When are we going to stop prioritizing our comfort over the courage God's asking us to take? Let me push a little bit, and I know this is going to make you uncomfortable, and you would push back, but the truth is I have the mic, so you can't. Um, And I don't want to pry too hard, but I would be remiss if we didn't in this situation. At what point in your life are you going to start taking some, some courageous steps in anything spiritual? At what point in your life are you going to be willing to turn around and say, this in my life needs to change, like perhaps my schedule? My schedule just dominates my life. It actually dictates my, my spiritual life. I, I, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm so busy. I talk to people like this all the time. We allow our kids' sports schedules to just dominate everything we do. And then I talk to them and they say, well, I'm just tired. I kind of feel like, yeah, but you chose tired. At what point are, are we going to allow the Spirit to, to say, maybe I want to change that? Would you be willing to take that courageous step and change it? We have problems in our marriage, and our marriage begins to fall apart, and, and, and it's so easy for us to sit in our comfortable little chair and point. But he, but he, but she, but she. At what point are we going to feel a little courage to take a step out of the chair and say, no, but the Spirit in me wants me to do this? How, how much longer are we going to give in to comfort and not be courageous? See, I know from my own life, this is where I t- tend to struggle. It's so difficult for me to, to, to at moments, it's just, or maybe I should say, it's just so easy for me to continue to choose what's comfortable, what I'm used to, than it would be to take a step out in faith, what it would be to, to take that step of courage, than it would be to realize that the destination is better, that, that, that the dedication to fight the battle, to be everything that God wants me to be, that the, dedic- that the, the, the dependency on him is greater than anything I've experienced now. You see, when I look, look towards the, the future, Jim, I want people to look at my life and say there was something different. But the truth is, everything I'm doing now, somebody can look at and say, he just worked really hard. Jim did a lot in his own strength. And I keep coming back to this idea of, of why not us? And I think, he, here's really what I want. I want to get to the end of my life, and I want people to look back and say, there is no way Jim could do that. No, I, mean, I know Jim. There is no way Jim could do that except through the Holy Spirit, except by the power of God, except by taking a courageous step and allowing God to do what God can do. So let me ask you one more time before we close. What's God asking you to do? Why not you? Why not us? Let me pray for us before we go. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, God, for uh, what was to me a, a very powerful, God, and even a very convicting message. God, about the power and the truth of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we are, like the apostles realized, so much better off, God, now that Jesus went back to heaven and sent the Spirit for us. God, it is now in us, and it gives us the ability to do things, God, that we, we can't even dream are possible. God, I pray that even though we might dream some of these things, God, that you would even in this moment right now for each of us, give us the wisdom to see that next practical step. What exactly are you asking us to do? What step are you encouraging us to take? God, and then I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to take the step, to take a leap of faith, if you will, to believe, God, that the spirit that you sent, the spirit that did the impossible for Jesus is now in us.
and will help us do the same. Lord, for people here who, who might be struggling, Lord, they've just they've chosen comfort over courage for most of their life. They've been sitting in this comfortable seat and, and they've taken a backseat to whatever the Spirit might be leading them to do. I pray right now that you would give them the courage to get up and to begin to do something, God, to take that step, to, to, to realize the destination is better, to, to remember to be dedicated to the fight. And finally, God, to be dependent on you because only, only anything good at this can, can happen you're in it with us. So God, I pray that you would encourage us one more time to take that step, to believe, to follow the Spirit, to be a little bit more courageous. In Jesus' name I pray.